0: Hi, welcome back to Mind Rolling. And uh, I'm Raghu Marcus with uh, David Silver. And uh, Dave, I want to start out today with... Uh, I know you're very angry today. And uh, I, I'd like... Please go ahead and vent, because... <laughs> ah,
1: uh, <laughs> um, that was a Neolithic version of my anger from the back of my reptilian brain. seems to be growing. Um, Amazon Returns stink they're not good it's not happening now i know because i've corresponded with quite a few of you and i have tremendous empathy for not being able to pay the rent for instance or eat eating is good with this incarnation so if that's the situation don't think about contributing just eat and pay the rent but if you have any discretionary funds go to my mindrollingpodcast.com Go to the Amazon portal when you want to buy something from Amazon and use it. Because you'd be amazed how effective it is. I mean, we don't get much from it, but if a lot of people do it, we make money. Now, I've learned from Duncan Trussell and other great podcasters to do this at the beginning. Our gurus. Our gurus. Because as Raghur mentioned in a a long time ago um, podcast, people do listen to this, but sometimes they fall asleep after a few minutes. Mm (laughs) And therefore, the ads that come later are meaningless unless they're subliminally placed in their brain, which we haven't learned to do yet, but we're working on it. Anyway, Amazon portal, go to it on mindrollingpodcast.com and use it. And, you know, everybody uses Amazon, some more than others. But, you know, for things like, um, I don't know, supplements, vitamins, books, uh, what's left of the music in the world, um, you know, anything, instead of just, you know, doing it and not thinking about ragu and me and never giving us a damn thought and just going to amazon willy nilly nilly and buying some piece of crap go to our amazon portal and just do it through us because we get something from it and it keeps this thing going because it doesn't cost nothing does it
0: ragu you know what if x amount of people i mean and we have you know We're moving on to, you know, 20,000 people, whatever it is. If X amount of those people bookmarked, just bookmark it. I mean, I do it. And, yeah, Dave, I'm buying. And I'm finding out that you can buy
1: anything. I I know, but you can't. But that doesn't help you doing it. Yeah, it does because of the way we have this set up. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah,
0: because I'm a non-entity. It's all in your name. See, everything is in Dave's name.
1: I see. Yeah and he yeah. will but you will share it with me yeah I, I because know. i bought a, a, an antique lamborghini last week <laughs> yeah. you know it was 175000 dollars and that should have helped yeah i'm still no, waiting for the don't proverbial take this seriously anybody yeah. i don't even drive a
0: car okay um just, but just, uh, but the truth is if enough people did that we would we would be able to sustain this show and uh and it's so easy i mean you can donate we have the great t-shirts uh you know, but the easiest possible thing is just bookmarking it and then then you just gotta have in your brain, okay, I'm gonna buy because geez, everybody's buying something from Amazon on a monthly if not weekly basis. I mean I'm buying, you know, i found geez, you can get all the supplements. At a yeah. cheaper by the way, they're cheaper. Krishnadas told me this. He said, You're buying that from, you know, Hoosie, go buy it from Amazon, you'll get a better price. And sure enough they have a, you know. They obviously have better pricing, and that goes across the board. And I'm I'm still waiting for the proverbial proverbial refrigerator refrigerator to be bought through our portal, um. But
1: uh, or at least by Joseph Goldstein's mindfulness, which yes. we push every week because it's the greatest book ever written. Okay, buy it. Buy two copies. Buy one for yourself and from someone who needs to be mindful. You know, get a bedside lamp, anything. Just get it because it is cheaper and the quality is good and they deliver well. And even though we lament the demise of small stores in some ways, mom-and-pop stores that are being replaced by them. And publishers. The supplements. It's not the case of supplements. <laughs> no. Um, and publishers, of
0: course, are another whole issue. But we <laughs> won't get into that. Um
1: Right. All right, um, moving but on. i have got to keep at it for a bit longer because I remember on all these podcasts, we went a little longer on this than what I was happy about. But there are gurus. So here's more. Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> the, the, the portal. The portal. The Amazon portal on mindbowlingpodcast.com. And just use it because I've noticed that when we do these rants, which are extremely annoying to us also, uh, we get a boost. You know, we get a, a bigger check from Amazon. And thank you, the people who bought from Audible, because we got a check from Audible uh, a couple of days ago. Mm. And for those who did that, and we haven't seen any anything from them for quite a while, for those three people, because we know there were three, uh, thank you very much, but there <laughs> should be 300. Yeah, and you know what? You're going to have a reason uh,
0: to get something from Audible uh, because we are releasing, um, on the other side of things, my... Um, Uh, with my hat on the uh, Love Serve Remember Foundation. We're releasing uh, Ram Dass' book uh, as a uh, softcover book on September 1, Dave. And the great thing is uh, his co-author, Rameshwar Das Litton, has read the book. In other words, you will be able to buy it on Amazon and listen to it anywhere on your devices, smartphones, tablets, or just uh, in your car traveling, which is that's a great place to listen to it. So we're we're gonna um let you know well, it is
1: September one, but we're gonna September one. Yeah. Go for it. I mean I saw Ramesh yesterday and he's in great shape right now and he he was very happy about this this edition, you know, and he's the most perfectionist human being on the planet. Hmm. And the fact that uh, his extreme empathy for the articulations of Ramdas have helped him co-write that book and then read it. It must make you want to get it because he's the real, you know, it's all about the real thing there. All right. Is this that, is the last Amazon wrap. It is. Uh, for this show, maybe we'll do it later, but then you'll be sleeping, so we don't care. Uh, Ragu, I would like you to That's start not. Off. That wasn't. An, what?
0: Well, you were way angrier before we got on the air. <laughs> and then you but turned into a genteel, kind English uh Countrymen, of some sort. It well, I can just... I
1: can put on an angry thing, which is that if you don't start fucking doing this Amazon portal shit, I'm gonna be you know upset, and I'm not pleasant. I'm much nicer when I'm just you know loving, sweet, nice, loving guy. Okay. All right,
0: everything. I'll buy that. Um, I want to move on to uh, our segment of uh, news from the end of the world. Okay, I have something, and Dave has something. I don't know if you know what mine is.
1: I don't. Uh huh.
0: Okay. The the headline is, this 31-year-old wants to sleep with your great-grandmother, okay? This is a real story, okay? This is the onion. No, it's not the onion. It's com slash relationships, okay? Ever wonder what attracts a younger man to an older woman, which, you know. Plenty of that goes on. I started to read this and I went, well, that's not that weird. We've all heard of the phenomenon of the cougar, an older woman who seeks younger men. But what's the deal with toy boys falling for the allure of women sixty years older than them? And again, I won't give the guy's name because that might be really over the top. He is from Augusta, Georgia. Okay, so this is a real thing. They got a real guy and he 's always been attracted to older women, and the majority of the time he spends his day pleasuring women between the ages of sixty and eighty. I guess he 's doing a a service maybe he's he's he 's a, a service oriented person this
1: is great
0: um for the last five years he has been casually dating. <laughs> A 91-year-old great-grandmother named, and we won't name her, regardless of the age gap, the two of them supposedly have an amazing sex life and can't keep their hands off each other. Well, maybe this doesn't, um, it's, this isn't a good news from the end of the, it seems to be news from the end of the world. On the I, other hand, this guy could be the messiah. I mean, yeah, come to help. Don't, uh not uh, Elder.
1: It. Yeah. I mean, my problem is there are no women younger than me, older than me, I should say. So I got to go for younger ones.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Okay, well I got one. Would okay. you want to talk more about that?
0: Um, no. All right. I, I think that's just fine with
1: that one. Okay, this is from the Huffington Post. I'm not going to read it all, but I'll read the beginning. It's uh, dateline today, in Washington. An immigration policy analyst from a think tank, often cited by Republicans. Suggested to a Tea Party crowd last week that President Barack Obama should be executed. Uh, Stephen Steinlight, a senior policy analyst at the Center for Immigration Studies, told the Highlands Tea Party in Florida that efforts to impeach Obama did not go far enough because, quote, there's no court that's going to stop Obama from doing anything. We all know if there ever was a president that deserved to be impeached, is this guy all right. I wouldn't stop. I would think being hung, drawn, and quartered is probably too good for him, Steinlight said. But you know, this man who wants to rule by the use of a pen, a telephone, let us not forget his teleprompter. The fact is that it would backfire very badly, and we've got to be grown ups and accept that we can't have everything we want, you know, like his head on a skewer. There's a lot more, but, you know, let's not go further than that. Uh, every time I read one of these things, and we don't do it deliberately, it always has those two wonderful words behind it, tea party. What is wrong with these people? What is wrong with them? I'm sick of it. I mean, I just learned to love them, because at one time all of them were either my mother, my father, my brother or sister, according to all, you know, Buddhist lore. So Mr. Steinlight is, you know, a vicious idiot. And, I mean, I want to read something else, uh, which is by uh, Dilgo Kiense, originally from Padamka, Hmm. Sanke. Hmm. He says, Recitation and taking refuge purify obscuration of the speech. People of Tingri, abandon all your ordinary conversation. Then he says, "The mouth is a box of tricks, the gateway of all faults and all misdeeds, chatter, lies, calumny, and harsh words." So this guy may be able to take it back, but it's on the internet; it's out there, you know, saying, "Wow, this president should be tortured before he's, you know, murdered." And I just who is think- this
0: guy? To-
1: he is a, a someone who the Republicans actually cite quite often, or they cite his group. He's called. Um, Stephen Steinlight, which, you know, is weird because he should be called Stein Dark when he's saying this kind of thing. And this is not a partisan statement. We're making a mind-rolling podcast. It's just to actually say and articulate and know that you're going to be listened to that a president of the United States should, first of all, be impeached when he's done far less than the last four of them uh, in that realm. And then to say that he should be, and then he said later, "Oh, it was symbolic, and it was just all symbolic hype." And but that's no good, sir. Um, so you know, mm. well, <sighs> heavy, intense karma for this. guy. Yeah,
0: news from the end of the world. Yeah. Um, so uh, segueing from uh, from that, uh, this is kind of a this is kind of a combination of. News from the end. Here's the real news from the end of the world, okay? Um, And this is from uh, Al Gore in an article in Rolling Stone. Last April, the average uh, CO2 concentrations in the Earth's atmosphere exceeded 400 parts per million on a sustained basis, listen to this, for the first time in at least 800,000 years. And probably for the first time in at, le- in at least 4.5 million years. A period that was considerably warmer than at present. Okay, So, you know, we, we've we heard all of this stuff. Of course, Al Gore has been a, a proponent of uh, having us wake up around uh, climate change. And he has been opposed and ridiculed by these same kind of Steinleit kind of people, um, you know, for many, many years. Um, and, and the opposition to, to him and people who are um, smart, compassionate, and, and you know, re- really want us to take stock and do something about what we're doing to our planet. Um, there is, uh, and we well know these people, uh, the Koch brothers. I think maybe I'm pronouncing Koch, Koch. I never know how to pronounce that, yeah, but it's Koch K-O-C-H, sounds good, right? actually. Um, so they are fighting this tooth and nail fighting alternative uh resources uh wind power solar power etc tooth and nail and the most and here he says the most controversial of their initiatives is focused on persuading state legislators and public utility commissions to tax homeowners who install a pv solar cell on their roofs Oh. And to manipulate the Byzantine utility laws and regulations to penalize renewable energy in a variety of novel schemes wow okay this that qualifies news from the end of the world yeah i mean i mean we've i mean they came into North Carolina and they got every everyone who had a sane brain thrown out and put these maniacs in uh you know and now this state is uh, you know they're about to um you know, bring back slavery, you know it's that kind of mentality that's next. yeah, that's next for them. But here's the uh, the, cave- the good caveat uh, caveat. Um, Al says, "There is surprising, even shocking, good news. Our ability to convert sunshine into usable energy has become much cheaper far more rapidly than anyone had predicted. The cost of electricity from photovoltaic or PV solar cells is now equal to or less than the cost of electricity from other sources powering electric grids in at least 79 countries. By 2020, as the scale of deployment grows and the costs continue to to decline, more than 80% of the world's people will live in regions where solar will be competitive with electricity from other sources. Wow, huh? Amazing. Uh, As a result, all over the world, the executives of companies selling electricity generated from the burning of carbon-based fuels, primarily coal, are openly discussing their growing fears of a utility death spiral. Yeah, there you go and and he talks about how in germany germany now generates 30% of its daily
1: electric from wind and solar i mean isn't that amazing it actually spikes up to 60 65% on certain days i read oh really so that's the mean you know 30 but it actually goes up from that yeah and, and, really, and this uh, yeah this utility death spiral
0: what they mean there is in germany for instance the two largest coal burning utilities have lost 56% of their value Over the last four years, okay, this is really good news because the marketplace is now driving this beyond political, um, you know, affiliation. Um, We are witnessing the beginning of a massive shift to a new energy distribution model. From the central station utility grid model that goes back to the 1880s to a widely distributed model with rooftop solar, on site and grid battery storage, and microgrids. So, so the shift is already ha- I mean, I read this thing, uh, you know, and I went, wow, this is, you know, just amazing. So, the, but, and here's the Koch brothers, Koch, Koch brothers, the utilities are fighting back, of course, by using their wealth and the entrenched political power they have built up over the past century in the United States brothers Charles and David Koch who run Koch Industries the second largest privately owned corporation in the US okay second largest what is apple the i, I mean i don't know <laughs> probably have secretly donated 70 million dollars to a number of opaque political organizations tasked with spreading disinformation about the climate crisis and intimidating political candidates who dare to support renewable energy or the pricing of carbon uh, pollution okay so the the way that they are being defeated is by the actual marketplace and and this thing um Oh, here. Here's another guy. He's another end of the world guy, like your, you know, the guy you spoke of, the ExxonMobil CEO. His name is Rex Tillerson. Okay. Uh, he responded. What respo- was his name again? Rex, just- Rex Tillerson. Okay.
1: okay. I thought it
0: was Rectum
1: Ellison. <laughs> That's okay.
0: Well, when you hear this, you you can rename him that. He responded to all of this, pointing out uh, the need to stop using the Earth's atmosphere as a sewer. Okay. People said, you know, we got to stop using the earth. You know what he said? What good is it to save the planet if humanity suffers? <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, anyhow, the thing ends with the most beautiful of, of uh, statements from, of course, uh, uh, and, and when they say, well, how long will this all take? You know, it sounds like there's been, there is a reversal. Uh, you know, uh, they pull the the politics of of the right and the resistance is being overcome by the natural propensity of uh you know of of the of the economics. I mean, once mm. stuff starts to be cheap, people go to it and they just buy it. It's it's as simple as that. So, but how long is, will it take?
1: Right, but I mean, even with the solar thing now, the it attempts to. Actually, punish people who are helping the planet is so draconian. Yeah, it's I mean it's beyond. like the Ramayana or something. It's like the it's like the Asuras suddenly taking on the good people, and and messing with them to destroy them. Yeah, and and you know that I know that might seem like a slightly wrong analogy, but it is good and evil because these dudes have got their oil empires, and I mean to point that up, the woman who's running as the Democratic. Uh, senator for West Virginia will not invite Obama to any of her campaign and she didn't want to talk about it but then someone hit her on it and said how is it you're just never going to invite him she said well I stand with the people here the coal industry must go on and and she just wants to get elected yeah I mean she's and she's a democrat hello now, hopefully, in places that don't have that kind of vested interest, and, you know, my heart goes out to the coal miners who've got no, but they shouldn't be doing that in the first place. It's a terrible, terrible way to earn a living with all the romanticism around it. Forget it. Black lung disease. Black lung yeah, disease. Yeah, but uh, there's
0: no choice in places like it's There's ridiculous. no other work, so there's no choice, so there's no blame so, there. It's, so it's, these
1: coaches, cucks, whatever the heck they're called... Um, You know, they're just out to... I mean, it's like that all over the world. I mean, let's just talk about Vladimir Putin for a moment. Vladimir Putin may well be, and probably is, the richest man in the world. His estimated net worth at this point is $74 billion. He earned this money when the horrible Soviet Union was replaced by the even worse oligarch Russia. In the first two years of the replacement of the Soviet Union with this capitalist system, uh, <laughs> Putin was so powerful in the KGB that he was able to wangle his way into shares, massive amounts of shares, like 20% here, 17% there, whatever, of things like GasPro, mm. which is what the people that export the entire European community. And so Putin is not only a dictator, but he's also an oligarch of the highest kind. So it's really the Koch brothers here, Putin there, but as you say, Raghu, there's another thing going on, which is the people going, wait a minute. You know, eventually they'll, they'll push it forward. It's well, it's the, the
0: marketplace. The marketplace is, is, yeah. is, is now market. dictating in a way that uh, political opposition or opposition even to the Koch brothers cannot. So this thing, here's the beauty, though, because when they asked, you know, so the question is, well, how long will this all take, right? And, uh, and so here's what uh, Al Gore... Uh, finishes this article with, when Martin Luther King Jr. was asked that question during some of the bleakest hours of the U.S. Civil Rights Revolution, how long will it take? He responded, how long? Not long, because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And so it is today. How long? Not long. So, you know, uh, a very, very positive uh, um, article Uh, from Al Gore. In a a way that's not, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, um, it's not like a bunch of rhetoric about the uh, state of the world, about the environment and how we're tipping, you know, and we got to do something about it. He, He actually says it is happening and it's shocking how quickly it's happening. So uh, I really loved that. And uh, thanks to uh, Rolling Stone, who, you know, uh, Jan, Jan Wenner uh, consistently provides provocative uh, articles uh, from people like Al. And uh, he ought
1: to be uh, commended. Yes. So from that, which is a positive, in our know, perspective... And one that, uh, that arc of the moral universe or whatever Dr. King called it, is is, is right there. But sometimes it seems it's gone. That's the, the struggle, isn't it? You just sort of go, oh my God, what next? But um, one has to believe that that evolution is going on just like incarnations follow one another. Progressions of progressiveness must eventually prevail.
0: And, you know, and that... Uh, it- you know, it leads us to what we, of course, talk a lot about here at Mind Rolling. Um, And and that is, you know, what can we do in terms of social action? And how do we uh, begin to try and affect some of this stuff when, you know, we don't necessarily, as an individual, we're not aligned with a powerful political organization, we're not aligned with uh, you know, vast uh, financial resources and so on and so forth. And and that kicks us back into uh, what is naturally part of who we all are, which is being able to change ourselves. I mean, we, you know, we just ranted about a few different people, including the Cock brothers. Um, and, uh, you know, as we do it, it, it's kind of gleeful in a way because, you know, you're sort of feel good about pointing out the absolute obstinate pig-headed uh ignorance and there's a way in which you when you do that you kind of feel good about yourself we're on the right side you know and that of course we we continue to uh uh along the path of us and them and we talk a lot about us and them uh, on this podcast and how to how do we how do we uh move beyond that and we had a wonderful podcast with our dear friend uh, Danny Goldberg about this sometime we've got to get Danny back here by the way and talk about some of this stuff uh, he has a really measured response and and more of a uh, a, a calm historical perspective at times which is uh, worthwhile for for us and and I'm sure many of our listeners who you know either want to get on the band bandwagon of just calling out these people in a way that uh, you end up being like them Or just uh, like we've just done here and now uh, by, uh, you know, ridiculously, you know, making them, uh, you know, they're ridiculous cartoon characters that we enjoy uh, drawing uh, in our podcast, drawing them out that way. Um, And that, too, is uh, just as, as, um, you know, we're just as caught. When, well, yeah, we're we just
1: pointing them out, though, for humanitarian reasons. I mean, the most cartoon like figure of the last hundred years is surely Adolf Hitler. And, you know, if it, Adolf Hitler had been stopped in his tracks by the mindrollingpodcast.com podcast in 1932, 68 million people wouldn't have died in World War II needlessly. Now, 68 million? Than I think 60, actually, it's no. between 63
0: and 68, I think, million. It, yeah. Are you, I, that's not something I, I was aware well, the of. Well, Russians,
1: the Russians lost 25 million alone. Really? Jeez. United States lost about a third of a million. Britain lost a good portion of a million. But then there were Japanese and, you know, all that, whatever. Yeah. But you're right. He was the ultimate cartoon character. But at the moment of truth, he prevailed because people didn't have means of communication to actually fight him. You know, I mean, I do believe that you can't just watch things happen. What you try to do is not to hate that person because the Tibetan, so many of the Tibetan lamas, I just read another one, Ragu, another lama who who was treated extremely badly by the Chinese, uh, I mean, tortured. And he just said that he, you know, he did not, um, he did not uh, hold it against them because he felt that it was a, a teaching on his way to Buddhahood, and that uh, it was very f- radical teaching very quickly for him. You know, with a month or two, he had to employ this very seriously, not to hate these people who tortured him. It's hard. This is really hard. But I'm sure you felt, Raghur, and I feel it often that on Facebook and, and other things. You see people who are saying what we're saying, but there's underneath it a real nastiness a hatefulness sometimes, you know, that these other people are scum or subhuman or whatever, those words come up. Mm. And that's where you really got to be careful, because then, you know, uh, the tulkus would say, I have to love my enemy before my friend. Or I'm, I'm not progressing in the, in the dharma. Yeah, and that's
0: all, they're easy words, especially yeah,
1: easy for us to repeat, you know.
0: Um, but I actually, you know, when you talk about a lama who was put in jail, you just now, uh, who by the Chinese, and how he had to put into practice, you know, everything that he had been taught. I actually met one myself, um, this this wasn't anything I read about, I met him and I was fortunate, his name is Garchen, G-A-R-C-H-E-N Rinpoche. And I met him in Los Angeles when I lived there, and I was fortunate enough to uh, be his driver for a couple of days. Uh, he was giving a uh, retreat in Los Angeles, and actually through Sharon Salzberg, I uh, enlisted to help, and that's what they needed. So I ended up driving he and his uh, one of his monks around for the day. And we had, um, at that time, you know, when it was a, a time in David and I were working with Triloka Records, and um, we had done. You remember the soundtrack, "Cry of the Snow Lion," Tibet, "Cry of the Snow Lion," and I Jeff did, yes. And um, so we um, that movie had just come out at the time, and you know I was involved with it, and I uh, this was an extraordinary experience. In in the house that he was staying, I said, would, would you like to see this Rinpoche? And he said, you know, through translator, he didn't speak English. And he said yes. And in it, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, by the way, you can get this on Netflix. It's an extraordinary movie uh, with uh, a wonderful soundtrack. Um, I would highly recommend it. But it is about what has happened in Tibet, uh, you know, with the complete... Uh, ravaging of Tibet and the culture and the monasteries and the people it's a tough movie to watch i mean it has Uh, yeah it
1: has footage rather than no other film has because they managed to smuggle it out of somehow shooting super eight wasn't video it was super eight film of uh chinese soldiers beating on nuns yeah as they
0: threw them into prison yeah and and immolations and and all of it you know the whole thing uh, it's it's pretty tough. I mean, there's also beautiful parts of it where you see yeah, Tibet and so on. Anyhow, I sat honest. there. So this Garchan Rinpoche got uh, arrested uh, way back when. Um, I don't quite remember when. It could have been 60s, 70s, 70s. I think maybe even 80s. Now he was he was kept in a prison for I believe 20 years. Okay, and and he said exactly what, uh, when they asked him, do, do you hate these people? No, I don't hate them. You know, I think he commented, you know, he had, he felt for their incarnation. I don't think he would have put it quite like that. Um, But he had compassion. He had true compassion. He did, he worked He did work on himself to the degree that he became realized somehow. I mean, I don't know the extent of his realization. I wouldn't know. But he was a really amazing being. And I sat there, and I watched him watch the movie. And when these scenes came up, the the look in his face and the suffering, everything came back. He just... I almost felt bad that I even suggested watching this thing. And you could just see his whole face and being and vibration suffering with everyone and everything that he saw in that moment. It all came back to him. And uh, it was just an amazing moment. And, and, And you could tell he was real. He did not hate them you know we talked about it and he did not i knew that he did not hate them you know and and the reality that so he represents the possibility of what we can achieve that we can achieve through through you know extraordinary um repression in and and it comes in many many different ways um and this is obviously the most extreme in what has gone on in tibet that we can achieve compassion for people, um, and uh, people who are oppressors, and that doesn't mean we we uh, fall down and let them do you know do harm, do the harm. We, you know we need to do the social action, whatever it is that we might be involved with. However it is we can help. Anyhow, this was just uh, you just reminded me of this. I was just uh, uh, an amazing experience I had for several days with this
1: uh, particular rumpache. Mm. What do you say after that? Because, you know, I often think that that I have more anger in me about the Chinese than does his holiness. Yeah, right. And that's quite odd when you think about it. When Chinese never called me nigger, you know, right. to quote Muhammad Ali, right. who actually said the Vietnamese never called me nigger. Yeah, but, right. you know, they didn't do me any harm, so why am I so angry? Well, I'm angry because I see that film and I see what they've been... And, and the fact that the West has been completely... Cowardy and cowardly, and it's okay meeting him in the the West Room of the White House, but we just go on trading with China, and these things are things that can be amended and changed by social activism. The the key, obviously, is not to get crazy, mm-hmm. you know, and not to feel that hatred because then your your own progress is is hindered and you're you're crippled by hatred and anger. I mean, you know, it just cripples you. So just unselfish, it's sort of weird. It's like, it's selfish in a way. If I don't want to hurt myself, I've got to rid myself. How do you do that? And, um, you know, it's not easy. The words are not enough. It's practice, right? It's practice.
0: Now, um, we uh, switch gears slightly, really uh, not that much, but uh, we talk a lot about how, Mm. um, you know, many people who listen to this podcast and, People that are, um, um, you know, from all walks of life, and how, you know, and we get mail, and you know, we get uh, a lot of uh, interactivity with many people, uh, and we see that there is has been a you know a large desire on many people's parts to find ways to deal with everything we're talking about and to find ways on a personal level to i like to call it get get just get some balance in our lives you know and and be able to to uh deal with everything and have a vantage point uh that uh doesn't cause us the isolation and suffering that in in many ways is endemic especially with the electronic media and so on in this uh culture um, and they don't, but, you know, it seems like they don't, we don't, and I would include myself in this, and you, David, uh, don't want to join any religion, any organized anything. Just want the information in the most practical and um, a substantial way. So that leads me to uh, this article that we found that was in the new york times and it and it examines the growth of spiritual but not religious and uh david and i have been kind of talking about this uh uh, over the last little bit and uh and it's it's not a simple black and white thing because uh do you want to talk about this for a minute
1: yeah, yeah. Can you
0: name who wrote it just so that we get yeah, it Yeah, uh, it was written for the Times by Mark uh, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer? Okay. Uh, very recently, last week. Yeah, right. Um, uh, the premise is spiritual but not religious. So many Americans describe their belief system this way that pollsters now give the phrase its own category on questionnaires. Right. In the 2012 survey by the Pew Religion and Public Life Project, nearly a fifth of those polled say they were not religiously affiliated, and 30% of that group said they were spiritual but not religious. It was 7% of all Americans, a bigger group than atheists, and way bigger than Jews, Muslims, or Episcopalians. Um, unsurprisingly, this group is is attracting a lot of uh, attention, and so there's been four books offering perspectives on those Americans who seem to want some connection to the divine, and again, I would call it connection to uh, knowing themselves a lot better, but who don't feel affiliated with traditional uh, religion. There's the minister who wants to woo them, two scholars who want to understand them, and the psychotherapist who wants to help them. So there's some divergence here. Why don't you talk about uh, a couple of these
1: uh, points of view? You know, I have mixed feelings about what she wrote because or not what she wrote what she wrote about someone who spoke in that article if i remember correctly who was saying that the problem with the spiritual people is that they they just do anything they want and there's no community and this which is wrong um most of the people i know who've been involved in spiritual pursuits for real are extremely disciplined and also are involved in all kinds of communities and satsangs and uh, expressions of of, of uh, kindness. So I think she's wrong about that. But what could be true is that she says it's a you know kind of like um, religion light, and that uh, people don't have any discipline and and there's no there's no real work done in this, which I would also disagree with. But she's trying to make the point that organized religion is organized for a reason, so as to gather people together in one spot regularly. Uh, to receive teachings and sermons. What we rejected back in the 60s and 70s, and people have totally rejected it now, I think, is the idea of, of uh, always having this middle man or woman telling you how you should act, um, not knowing you personally, and using rather empty sort of rationales, um, some of which I've never understood. Uh, and And so we moved away from it, and we found a mix of... You know, Western scholars, Alan Watts, and all of those people, and, and then Ramdas, of course, and then Eastern religion of all kinds, and Buddhism, and devotional yoga, and Hatha yoga, and Raja, all, all the yogas, all of which take a lot of discipline if you're really going to do them. So, what the heck is she talking about? She's talking about something that she doesn't articulate as well as you and I do, if I might say so, mm. which is this sort of new agey thing which makes us both the skin crawl a little bit. And the reason it does that, it's not because we're snotty-nosed about it or snobs about it. It's just that the complete and total repetition of clichés long enough uh, tends to erode the depth of meaning of what is being said. So when I see on Facebook all kinds of repeated phrases, some of them are very useful and some of them are just sort of vapid. So she was suggesting that it's a vapid thing all down the line. That's not true. It has its wings. One wing of it is extremely deep and studied, uh, you know, Sharon Salzberg, etc. Uh, and the other wing is believing more in the beauty of bliss and wanting to be happy all the time and, and so on, which is nothing wrong with it. But there are wings and that particular wing often expresses itself in what we would call rather vacuous words and music because we're a, bit, we're a bit critical of that. Right. Mm. Well, I like what he
0: says. So he gets on a plane and they say, sit down next to somebody. And uh, when they find out this person's a, a minister of some sort, they go, oh, um, gee, I'm I'm spiritual. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, you know, to the minister. And and with daring insight unique to them, <laughs> uh, say, you know. I find God in the sunset. I find God walking on the beach. And so this is pointed out as, you know, completely vacuous, insubstantial uh, bullshit, Um, which it can and can't be. I mean, again, you know, you just go, I mean, how many times have you walked on a beach, okay, and everything goes away from you, all of your worries, your day-to-day life, because you smell the ocean, you feel the wind, and you know, it's just you feel nature in its extreme beauty, and suddenly you, you have some coming of at oneness. You know, we all have this happen, hopefully, you know, much of the time, a bunch of the time, you know, or from time to time at the very least. And uh, and then another person may take that as. I'm spiritual but I'm not religious and you know and so you know I see everything around me I I relate with it as you know the beauty of God's hand and blah 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 meanwhile walking around day to day um you know just following every desire um getting angry um you know uh just absolutely not engaged with with Anything but some kind of hedonistic, you know, viewpoint, which is not getting, you know, you're not helping yourself ultimately. I mean, and this is not to be judgmental. I mean, but there are people who, you know, which I'm being, uh, but there are people who do this, and um, you know, they're missing the point. So I think she has a point here, that there is potentially a missing of the point. Um, yeah,
1: I agree. But then you, you you don't detect in her tone much that she could understand that different strokes, different folks, and, and that okay, it may be bad to me or something. Someone saying you know just a sunset, although I love sunsets, um, they can get from that uh, that feeling of oneness and and real love. And so you can't just sort of put it down. The problem is when it becomes endemic. And it becomes part of a larger thing where people are constantly repeating these things. Where life demands a little more depth than that, really. Yeah. Surely, yeah, and that's really what it is. More substantiality is really
0: required to become a better human being and that, and become more balanced. Um, and you know, and the fact is, religion. So she's saying religion is better at challenging people to face death, fight poverty, poverty, and uh, oppose injustice. Well, that's a it's just wrong,
1: Raga, Because yeah. did she ever read any mindfulness stuff that totally talks about death and aging and illness and suffering and adversity? So she's wrong. She's she's just taking that new age thing to be the whole damn yeah. deal. On the other it
0: hand, ain't yeah. On the other hand, you know, she says re- religion by bringing to people together in community at regular intervals facilitates an ongoing conversation about matters outside the self. Now here, that starts, no, that's that starts to be something uh, that I myself feel is totally important and, and in fact um, which we call in the Eastern tradition satsang or sangha, being in the company of people who are uh, searching you know, uh, for uh, finding one's true nature and being able to be uh, a righteous human being operating in this world. Um, So, uh, and in fact, um, if you want to pick something up, actually, it's funny because I was just at something um, a couple of weeks ago uh, in Taos. It was a gathering uh, of Many of uh, our old friends from uh, the India days, uh, you know, don't get together that often. And we did gather together uh, in Taos or around uh, this temple that's devoted to uh, Neem Karoli Baba and Hanuman, uh, which we've talked about before. And uh, it was just, you know, a, a beautiful event uh, with uh, with practice. I mean, there was a lot, I mean, 24 hours of chanting and so on and so forth. Um, so, uh, I had invited a couple of people, friends of mine, uh, a couple of people who are uh, that I've now known for two, three years, and have become very close to. Uh, and uh, they wrote to me and said, "You know, we really want to uh, appreciate and thanks, you know, for now for being part of this and inviting us to this. Now we understand the um, importance." of gathering together with like-minded people in this in this way and with this uh common pursuit you know and then so we start to ch- so uh, in in fact just uh, at that time in and I'll tell you you go to uh, there's a, a a blog up right now hopefully uh, you'll be able to find it at ramdas.org not to be cons constantly promoting and self-promoting what I'm involved with but it just is a great blog from Ramdas an article around the this the importance of of this kind of community and I truly uh, you know it's one of the most important things in my own life so uh this but what ha- what has to happen alongside of this and that's where this article um uh I think misses, not this article misses the point. Some of the people that are quoted in this article uh, in opposition to spiritual but not religious, I think that that spiritual includes uh, pursuing the inner mystical traditions of any major religion. And uh, that uh, is a whole other picture Um, uh, because that... uh, once that happens, and you can pick from one or another, I think it, even at, at, at some point in this article, uh, they you know somebody mentions that, oh, who is it? Thomas More, right, who wrote, um, uh, what did he write that book? Uh, who, Care of the Soul. It's one of the biggest self-help books, right? Yeah, yeah. He says spiritually, spirituality can be whatever one makes it. In his Guide to Developing a Custom Spirituality, he encourages people to draw on religion, and anti-religion, whatever works for them. Every day I add another piece to the religion that is my own. It is built on years of meditating, chanting, theological study, and the practice of therapy. To me, a sacred activity. And so I think people picking things out of whatever proclivity they may have that appeals to them out of different um religious traditions i think if they enter into the mystical part of that tradition it then transforms uh you know the, the spiritual but not religious into a really substantial um way to um to again find one's true nature find balance whatever words you want to use about uh you know uh becoming a a uh, human being of of uh, who can help uh, make changes in this world. Do everything we talked about in the beginning of this podcast, which is, you know, change yourself, and you'll be able to uh, affect change in, you know, all the way to environmental, whatever it is that you're uh, doing a social action.
1: Yeah, and you don't have to be actually part of anything. That's one of the reasons. I mean, you may become part of some things, but uh, I was in a big department store on Fifth Avenue yesterday and um, needed an article of clothing for a Buddhist ceremony that I'm involved with. And um, the the young woman who helped me uh, heard me use the word Buddhist and said, I'm not a Buddhist, but I know what it means. I was quite gobsmacked, actually, for a moment. and said, well, what, what, what does it mean? She said, well, in my experience as a drug taker, Buddhism, she said, drug taker? Enlightenment without drugs. That's what she said. So, wait, wait, wait.
0: Run me back. She said, I, as a drug taker. What does that mean? She used to be a drug taker, and oh, she was, oh, you know, okay. like all of
1: us. And, and she took many drugs and, and
0: stopped. Well, I'd like to stop right there because you know I hate that. That drug taker, okay? All right? All right. Psychedelics no, are not drug takers, Okay. Heroin no, I, addicts I mean, and took, coke freaks and took, meth freaks and pharmaceutical freaks are
1: drug takers. Okay. Well, I think she might well have been there, but okay. allow me to. I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, she took drugs. Okay. <laughs> Thank for that? It's really okay. different. Um, Sorry. And stopped. And she said that she understood after she started meditating and doing Buddhist practice of some kind, that she didn't ever need to take drugs again, in her opinion. She felt released from it because she felt that she could get to that place without drugs. Now, that was just someone in a store that I'll never meet again, probably. And, um, you know, she was very good at what she did. It was a hard job being in that store in the tourist uh, capital of the world. And there were like 9,000 Germans and Swedes in this store at the same time and people from, you know, Qatar and Dohar and so on. So it's a hard job, but she was very at ease. And it so happened that when I left to check out, she was the cashier. There were five of them, but I got her. And she said, as she wrapped my stuff, she said, "Um, I really wish that the uh, ceremony you told me about will be beautiful and will help your friend enormously. Thank you for shopping here. Mm. Well, I mean, give me a break. She's not a part of anything. And as far as I know, she didn't go to church, synagogue, Moscow, or anything. And was in a really great place. She was such a beamer. She was like an angel to me. And um, that's why I don't subscribe personally to any one way of this. It comes to you when it comes to you based on your 22 billion incarnations. And Satsang is great. But maybe for some people, something else is great. That's the difference between spirituality and a religion with a, a, a person leading you and saying, you know, come to church every Sunday and do this. And if you do that, you're bad. And if you do this, you're good. And Jesus died for your sins. Would you explain that to me, what that means? Which? Jesus died for your sins. What, do I look like a Christian pastor to you? Well, what do you, I mean, you must have heard the expression. What, what does it yeah, mean? I'm Jewish. I don't know from nothing oh, for like that. for Christ's sake. Okay, we, go to Amazon portal <laughs> on mindrollingpodcast.com and um, buy Amazon products there and help us do this a little longer or much longer or whatever, and do it with love and with a credit card. I'm, I'm going to contemplate
0: this, okay? Can we, I, I'm going to spend the next week trying to understand Jesus died for our sins, Okay. Um, and I can quote. Uh, I'll think about this, and I'll pull up some quotes and stuff, and and we'll further discuss this.
1: And let's let's take it as as has said, as Jesus, as a, a yogi, which he clearly was. And let's take it from that, not from any. You know, I mean, but this this is said all the time by every Bible punch, excuse me, priest and um, whatever they call him. You, know, every you day answer that time. Everybody seems to understand it in the church. And I just want to know what that is. Did Buddha die for my sins? Uh, He wasn't crucified. He died lying down, very peaceful. Jesus was, you know, some kind of other type of yogi, okay? Well, you know what? Okay, now that I'm thinking about it, and,
0: you know, uh, we're uh, in a closing mode here for the podcast, but really, Buddha, by realizing himself, his true nature... And understanding what this life is all about. The Four Noble Truths, right? Yeah. Basically, I don't see any difference between him and Christ. No, I agree. Really, Christ did it in a way that he needed to do it at that time uh, to allow people to wake up. And, uh, And I think that what is really... That he loved, I mean, and this is Maharaji said to us, that he, you don't understand, he was lost in love with every sentient being. And so yeah. that, um, you know, when you, sins is good and evil and all of that stuff is, you know, that's maybe more part of religion and um that's you know funny. being able to uh, you know to uh, control people in a way, I think that that's more of what that's about, but I right. think truthfully uh he what he showed was his vast love uh for humanity and uh, as an example that way, and so exactly. you know in in and He and Buddha, it's just different manifestations of the same thing, as far as I can
1: but, see. But teaching how to love, because, I mean, you know, he made it quite clear, or we've been told that, you know, uh, love the tax collector and love the prostitute. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Magdalene and the tax collector got a good deal from Jesus Christ. They were attended to, they were loved, and they followed him. And people at first said to him, what the heck are you doing with the tax collector? He's just a Roman puppet and he's ruining my, my shop. You know, my yeah. fig store, and he just looked at them like they were you know don't you get this uh, you know yeah. you got to love him or you got to start somewhere, so start with the tax and don't judge the don't judge the the unfortunate uh prostitute because something led her to this and go there with that compassion I mean Jesus, great yogi, and yeah. Hey, uh, hey,
0: do you? Th- why don't we? Could we start a religion? Maybe. I mean, since <laughs> we're having trouble getting supported as podcasters, um, that's the way the to do States, it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we should start a religion, and then we can pass the uh, what's that thing they pass or what's it called to get tithed and all that. Um, I don't even know. Well, we
1: get tax. We we get tax breaks.
0: Tax breaks. vast fortune we, we would make get that. Losing. Yes, and yeah. and yeah. we could tax people. We well. Could text <laughs> well, okay, let's work on our, our new religion. Um, okay, s- if anybody's
1: got any ideas, send them in. Yeah, please do and talk please, to us um, about
0: this. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and <laughs> just bookmark the damn Amazon at this point, all right? Yeah, do it.
1: We're, you know, we don't want to start that again, but, you know, do it. It's not that hard, and I bet just you. Just do, do it. Do it.
0: That's, uh, you know who says that? Wayne Dyer. He does? Yeah, and Wayne is the best at raising money of anyone I ever uh, met in my entire life or saw. He raises more money for PBS than anybody, right. and he just says, "Just do it." Okay, yeah. so just do it, and uh, and considering that it will be done, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will be back next week. So, yeah, by uh, the
1: way, do you have any T-shirts left? Of course we have well, T-shirts. Then th- that's another thing. Buy a T-shirt. It's very hip. Someone will come up to you at a, at a rock festival and say, I never heard of Mind Rolling. Where are, the, are they an English band or something? And you'll go, no, it's a podcast and it's very cool.
0: I wore mine around in, when I was in Taos. I can't tell you how many comments I got. Were uh, they good? They were good. I might be you know fitting a little bit about how many, but those two people were really happy to see me in that t-shirt so all right we got to go we got to go right. Dave great to talk to you again as usual yeah, you too. and uh, we will be back mindrollingpodcast.com just uh, uh, go on over there and uh, mosey around and subscribe at iTunes or whatever whatever way you want to receive our weekly words of wisdom, not. See you later. Bye-bye.